I was actually caught up in that song. I just, you know, it isn't a song draws you in there. Father, I just thank you, first of all, for your spirit. Thank you that you, wow, that you continue to wow us back to you. You continue to woo us back to you. Thank you, Father. You recalibrate us. You re-remind us that we're sons and daughters. And so I thank you. I don't want to miss this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you continue to draw us deeper as you speak through Andrew. I thank you that, um, Jesus, when you, when you spoke these words, you only said what the Father said. You only communicate what was on, on Papa's heart. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would reactivate these words. Make them come alive, Father. Burn them deep inside of our house. We want to see a transformation, Lord, to take place in our hearts today. The renewing of our mind for what comes next, Lord. Resettle some things in our hearts. Remind some things in our heart. Reestablish your truth, Lord. We pray that for this vessel that you would use them, that you'd ignite a passion, a deeper passion for you and the things of you. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Here we. Something's working. Hello. All right. Is that too loud? Too much me? All right. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> so glad to see you guys today. That song, I was also caught up in meditating. Thank you, uh, worship leaders who were leading us in that. That was so beautiful, and it definitely put me in the right, right uh, frame of mind to be really, uh, well, <clears throat> I hope it puts, you, puts us all in the right frame of mind to receive this word. Uh, before I get to today's message, I need to put it in uh, context uh, we are beginning a series on Lent. We've done this for a couple of years now, where during the season of Lent, we have taken the theme of the year, and we've taken the scriptures that we've been studying, and we just really open our hearts and seek God for, uh, to prepare us. Uh, last year during Lent, I said, uh, we kept saying over and over again, that Lent is to, uh, was meant to prepare us to walk in the fullness of, of the resurrection. And uh, this year, uh, saying almost the identical thing, Lent is meant to prepare us to walk out the fullness of God's favor. This is the year of God's favor, and uh, the year we're focusing on God's favor. And Lent is meant to prepare us for that. The early Christians discovered right away that walking in the fullness of God's favor is, uh, is not uh, an easy thing. We've got slides here, so you don't just have to look at me. That's, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> uh, living the fullness of God's favor. Uh, the early church uh, realized right away that it's hard, and there's all kinds of challenges, both inside of us and outside of us, that prevent us from walking in the fullness of God's favor. And so they created these seasons throughout the year. Lent was one of the seasons and it was intended to prepare us for this. Uh, the, more of those, uh, the more that those obstacles in us are removed, the more we get to celebrate and rejoice on Easter, the day that we celebrate Christ's resurrection. The more that his triumph over the grave and over darkness and over sin, uh, the more that means to us, the more deeply we get to shout amen and hallelujah, uh, he is risen, he is risen indeed, uh, that can come from us more with greater sincerity, with greater power. 
when we have prepared ourselves to do so uh, through this season of Lent. And so, so Lent is this time of, of preparation. And, and that makes it the perfect, uh, <clears throat> the perfect, uh, what we're about to speak on over the next eight weeks is just the, the, the is just perfectly matched with Lent. Uh, you see, the Beatitudes, what we're going to spend the next eight weeks on the Beatitudes. Uh, we're gonna, every single week, we're going to take a different Beatitude. And you can, if you want to, you can open up to Matthew 5 right now or find it on your device uh, where, in Matthew 5. We're going to take a look at the Beatitudes. And each week, we're going to take a look at a different Beatitude. And we're going we're gonna to meditate on a different Beatitude. And uh, Hannah already mentioned we're starting these Lenten small groups. And you'll notice in your, uh, in your, in your bulletin, there's a little... There's a little insert, and a little yellow insert, <clears throat> and on one side, there's, a, there's a several, there's five different Lenten small groups that are going to last just for the season of Lent. Those are wide open to everybody. If maybe you've, you've wanted to join a small group or wanted some more intimacy and closeness and relationships, you're not sure how to fit into your schedule, you're not sure when to do that, or I can't sign up for a mosaic group because they last forever and ever, uh, <clears throat> these Lenten small groups are the perfect opportunity to, to do that. Also, the Mosaic groups are throwing wide their doors, and they, have, they always had, had their doors thrown wide open, but uh, even more, they're saying, come, come join us, and all of the Mosaic groups, you'll see that on the same piece of paper, opposite side, uh, they're, they're saying, come and join us to study Lent, and they are also going to be using these workbooks. If you're, you're not ready to sign up for any kind of group, don't worry about that. We've got plenty of these, of these workbooks. Uh, on your way out the door, there's a table with a bunch of information on it, and there's stacks and stacks of these little booklets. Grab one for yourself. Grab one for a friend. Uh, they are, uh, they're, they're really well done, and they, they're going to help you meditate and on, on uh, the Beatitudes. So it's a great opportunity. Um, well, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are the perfect match for Lent. Uh, the Beatitudes were meant as an introduction to Jesus' upside-down sermon. Now, if you've ever spent any time studying the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you've had the chance to study the whole thing at once, that's, that's the best way to do it, you're going to see the whole message is all about Jesus. He flips upside down, what everyone was expecting, or what everyone thought good religion was, what good faith was, what it, what it meant to walk with God. If you read the whole thing, Jesus keeps saying, you've heard it said to you, but I'm saying to you. You've heard it said this about prayer, and about giving to poor people, and about fasting, and all these other practices. You've heard it said this about uh, all these rules and regulations, but this is what I'm saying to you. And he just flips completely around what all of his listeners were expecting. Uh, and so the Sermon on the Mount, especially when you take the whole thing, it really messes with you in a good way. It really messes with you in a good way. So it's good to get messed with by the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes are uh, the introduction to that. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew, it should say, yeah, Matthew um, uh, 5.20 there, uh, Jesus said that your righteousness 
must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had this false religion that they had uh, concocted that was all about showing off how spiritual they were and all about sending out a, projecting an image. And uh, Jesus flipped that around and said, you've got to have a totally different kind of spirituality, a totally different kind of faith uh, if you're going to follow me. And so the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, they search our heart, they probe us deeply uh, at the deepest level, and they ask us, the sermon asks us, are are we going to follow Jesus, or are we going to follow this false religion of the Pharisees, or Jesus also brings in the false religion of the pagans, which was all about running after things and getting things and making sure you had enough stuff. Jesus is asking, who are you going to follow? These false religions, or are you going to follow? Are you going to follow me? So this is it's, it's a great it's a great way, it's a great Lent is the perfect time to meditate on this. Uh, in the little later in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it says Matthew six actually should say Matthew five. So Matthew five thirteen through sixteen. Jesus uses this phrase, salt and light. And it was one of his favorite ways of saying, living out God's favor. When, uh, when he describes us as salt and light, he's talking about us living in and out God's favor. Uh, salt uh, means a lot of different things, but one of the things it means is it flavors up uh, the food that it's in. And if we're the salt of the world, we're flavoring up the, the world around us. I, I don't know if you knew this, but you're supposed to make the world more flavorful. You are. You're supposed to make the world more flavorful. Uh, and, uh, and so Jesus uses this. That, that, that's part of what it means to walk out or live out the, the fullness of God's favor. Uh, light. Light is supposed to expose the darkness. It's supposed to uh, point to things. It's supposed to clarify things. Uh, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and think you're so awesome, like they, the Pharisees do it? No. You're, you're supposed to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good works are supposed to point to God. So when Jesus says you're light, you're, you're, it means you're radiating life and joy in such a way that other people think more highly of God. Their eyes get drawn not towards you because you're so special and so amazing, but their eyes get drawn towards God and how wonderful, how wonderful he is. So, with that, all that said, um, we are going to look at uh, this phrase, blessed are the poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So if you're not already there, you want to be there in Matthew 5. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask three questions today, and I'm going to try to answer those three questions uh, uh, to try to break this down a little bit. I, for years, I have to be honest, the Beatitudes were really kind of confusing to me. Uh, Jesus actually meant them to be kind of confusing because you're sort of like, huh? It makes you go, what? What are you talking about? And then you dig into it deeper, and you pray, and you ask him for help, uh, and, and, and slowly the light starts dawning. So that's okay if, if you're a little confused by it, but I'm hoping these three questions will kind of crack it open for us. Um, what is poverty of spirit? What is poverty of spirit? I'm going to use this definition here, and I'm going to, I'm going to break it down for us. Um, I'm using this definition of poverty of spirit. It is embracing my inadequacies and weaknesses. It's embracing my shortcomings and failures 
and it's embracing my limits. So what on earth does all that mean? Uh, by inadequacies and weaknesses, I mean our lack of capacities and our skills. Now, I'm often very embarrassed by this fact, but there's a lot of skills and capacities I don't have. Um, I'm never, I've finally resigned myself to the fact I'm not gonna be in the Olympics. Age 42, I'm not gonna be in the Olympics. Um, I'm never going to get a job as an auto mechanic. No one will ever entrust their car to me. There, there are a lot of things, I, I have a very long list, I'm not gonna bore you with it, but I have a lot of areas where I lack capacities and skills. Um, vulnerabilities, those areas uh, where we're at danger or risk, uh, problematic inclinations. That means you know, you're inclined to do something and it's not a good thing you're inclined to do. It's sort of, but it's built into the fabric of your being. Liabilities, those areas that actually, uh, in your life that actually put you and your uh, family and your friends and others you love at risk. Your susceptibilities, the ways in which you are easy, you easily give in uh, to, it might be temptations, it might be um, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, so that's, this is what I mean by inadequacies and weaknesses. Shortcomings and failures. I mean the areas where you've actually violated what's right and what's good. Your transgressions. Your moral bankruptcies, those areas inside of you where it's just, uh, there's nothing good. Your besetting sins, that's the old fashioned way of saying the sins that you just can't get rid of. You try and try and try and try and they're just not going away or they're going away so slowly that it's driving you and other people crazy. Um, Poverty spirit also means embracing your limits. And by limits, I mean all of the God-given boundaries, restrictions, and margins that he's gifted to me. I don't know if you knew this. We often think of our gifts as the strengths that we're given by God. But by limits, limits are actually also a gift from God. It's a, it is, it's, um, it's a good thing that I don't know how to work on my car. It's a, a good thing that, I mean, that I don't have any athletic ability. It's a, it's a sort of a good thing. Anyway, still struggling with that one. <clears throat> um, there, there's reasons God's given you limits, and they're actually a gift. If you, when you meditate on your limits and, and you discover the things that weren't required of you because you had those limits or the ways that uh, you actually got to rest and trust God because of those limits uh, that you have. And, and, and it, it's not just limits about your physical body or your brain. It's also limits in your finances, limits in your relationships, limits in what your influence. All, all of those are actually gifts from God. And this phrase embrace, what on earth does that mean, to embrace all of that? Number one, by embrace... I mean, acknowledge that all this exists. Acknowledge that your weaknesses and shortcomings, your failures, and your limits actually exist. There's so much trouble in our lives caused by the fact that we won't even acknowledge that we have these weaknesses and limits. Uh, own them. That means, like, yes, I actually am limited 
in this way. It's, 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 actually, it's actually true and it's, it's actually, I'm taking responsibility for that. Rejoice over them. Rejoice over them. Now when I say rejoice, I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean rejoice over like the violations you've caused. I, I mean don't, don't rejoice over the actual sins that you've done. There's nothing to rejoice about. Uh, but <clears throat> the fact that you have that brokenness in you that makes you susceptible to that besetting sin, the fact that there's that brokenness in you, that's part of the God-given limits you, you've had. Now, that, that's very different from how we're, if you've been raised in America, that's very different from how Americans are raised. I, you know, I can do all things through me. And it's also very different from how many Christians are, are raised. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I thought he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if you read that whole thing in context, it doesn't mean you get a, doesn't mean you're Superman. Okay, uh, but rejoice, rejoice over these limits. Thank God for the ways you've been limited. Thank God for the, way, for the actual weaknesses you have. Those are actually hidden gifts. Those are actually blessings. Um, when I say embracing, it's the exact opposite of what most of us do. Most of us defend ourselves, excuse ourselves, and justify ourselves. But embracing is the exact opposite of doing that. Uh, <clears throat> when I was a little kid, and it was becoming very obvious to myself and everyone else, I had no athletic ability. Uh, I can't believe I keep bringing that one up. I didn't mean to. But <clears throat> and anyway, when, I, when it was becoming obvious to everyone, you know, I, I, would, my, I, would, I would defend myself. Well, I, I, was just, I was just tired today, you know. Um, or excuse, well, you know, I, I just, um, he was like, looking at me funny, like in gym class, so that's why, like, I didn't do it. <clears throat> um, denying. We all spend a lot of time denying our poverty of spirit, pretending like it's not there. We deny it to ourselves. We deny it to other people. Uh, instead of coming out and, uh, you know, may maybe there's some issue that's come up you know, between you and, and a loved one again and again, and it's, this uh, weakness in you has hurt other people, it's hurt your loved ones, and, and you just, instead of owning it and saying, yes, it's there, and yes, it's going to be there again next week, you say, no, no, I'll, I'll do better next time, no, don't, don't worry about it, I've, I've got to go, I'm totally taking care of it, it's all gone now, uh, yeah, they even prayed for me, they even laid hands, I, I think they, the weakness is gone, I think it's all gone. That, that's not embracing your poverty of spirit. Uh, here's what a lot of us do. We overcompensate. So, yeah, this is a weakness in the area. In, I've got this one weakness, and you'll kind of, yeah, I know this is a weakness. But in this area, I am Mr. Beefy. I, I, I know how to do this other thing really, really well. Uh, overcompensating on, on, the other, on the other side. Um, here's, here's something a lot of us do is uh, understating. We'll, we'll, we'll really downplay our, our weakness uh, in, in some area. We'll say, well, you know, I just not, you know we'll, we're, we're embarrassed by it, we're ashamed of it, and so we'll just really downplay it, we'll really kind of sweep it under the rug. Uh, you know, and that's fine, you don't have to like wear your weaknesses like as a big sign. Look at me, I'm so weak in this area. But, but uh, the understating it can actually get people in trouble. There's ways we can actually hurt other people if they're depending on us, and we say, oh, that's not, you know, not that bad. I'm not that bad at that. Um, overstating. Some of us have the opposite problem. Is we, we, uh, 
in, in the same way as like overcompensating, we'll sort of overstate our, uh, um, you know, our other strengths, or we'll even overstate our weakness in a kind of a way of like, don't bother me. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I have this huge lack, this huge uh, weakness in this area, so just leave me alone. Just get away from me, and we, we won't even like try to engage with it or, or try to improve it or try to work with it. So these are all kinds of little tricks. So embracing is the exact opposite of this. Embracing my inadequacies and weaknesses, embracing my shortcomings and failures, and embracing my limits. And so, so we, we've got to ask a question, like why is this important? Especially if we're going to say we're following Jesus. Why was this the first beatitude Jesus used? You're, you're blessed, the kingdom of yours if, is if, if, you, uh, if you're poor of spirit. Why, why, did, why did Jesus use this? Why was this the first one? What's so important to Jesus about this? And what's so important to following God? Why is this important? Number one, it, it keeps us in touch with reality. And I don't know if you've noticed, but God being the author of reality, he's like, so into reality. He, like, loves it. And I, I have to admit, when I first became a Christian, and I, I had this tendency for years, actually, it's a really long time, that, well, you know, Christianity is going to kind of help me, like, embrace my fantasy world of, like, how wonderful I actually am. Um, and uh, following Jesus is, like, the exact opposite of your fantasy world. It's the exact opposite of cultivating a fantasy life about yourself. Uh, it, he, he, when you embrace your poverty of spirit, it actually keeps you in touch with the reality that God wants you to be in touch with. Um, keeps us honest. Keeps us grateful. Now, this is going to sound really weird, that it would keep us grateful um, I was just last night talking to somebody who had been in a horrible, horrible, horrible accident. Loved ones even died in that accident. It was absolutely horrible. And this person was so oozing with gratitude about all the ways that the, the accident and even the, the death of a dear loved one caused this person to reevaluate life, that this, this person's weaknesses and shortcomings uh, were on display like never before, and instead of, it, uh, you know, obviously it was incredibly horrible and traumatic, but one of the, one of the things that happened is that it, it caused this person to be grateful for every tiny shred of grace. This person's eyes were just made wide, wide open to see how God's hands, God's fingers were in every single part of their lives. And, and this person was just oozing with gratitude. When we embrace the brokenness inside of us, it makes, uh, it actually ironically makes us grateful for, you know, like, oh, um, yeah, okay, so I, I don't know how to work on my own car. Um, thank you, Jesus, that we live behind this garage that, they know how to do it, and they know how to do it really well. Um, uh, it, I, you know, again, embarrassing. Um, no athletic ability whatsoever. 
thank you, Jesus, that I have this body that, like, actually, like, works, like, it actually can just, like, function through light. Um, the, when, when, we, when we embrace our poverty of the spirit, it makes us grateful. Um, it also keeps us dependent on God. It keeps us dependent on God. Uh, and, and, and God likes that. God wants that. This is Christian maturity to be dependent on God. It's, it's the opposite of the world's definition of maturity because in the world's definition of maturity, you're, you're always getting more and more independent, less dependent on other people. But in God's definition, you're actually increasing your dependency on God. So it's a beautiful thing to embrace your poverty of spirit. And <clears throat> to be honest, those who don't embrace their poverty of spirit, they nurse um, a secret suspicion that they have earned God's favor. They've, they nurse the secret suspicion they've earned God's favor. That is one of the most poisonous, most deadly, and most deceptively poisonous things that could ever seep into your soul, that you somehow have earned God's favor. Uh, almost nothing could be more deadly. Uh, it's, it's the seedbed of Phariseeism. It's the seedbed. This will make you a Pharisee faster and more thoroughly than, than anything else if you secretly suspect you have earned God's favor. But if you embrace your poverty of spirit, every day you're, you're smacking down that lie that you earn God's favor. Every, every day. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess I have to rely on the grace of God today. Um, and, and, and that was what Jesus was trying to cultivate with the Beatitudes, with the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, again, if you, if you read through the whole Sermon on the Mount, you, he's always contrasting uh, the Pharisees pray so that people will see them. You're supposed to pray in secret. The Pharisees uh, give to poor people so that people will see them. You're supposed to give in secret. The Pharisees fast so that people will see them. You're supposed to fast in secret. Um, and, uh, and, and Jesus doesn't want you to have the Pharisaical spirit in you. Embracing your poverty of spirit counteracts it. Um, <clears throat> more importantly, when you embrace your poverty of spirit, it shows us that the kingdom of God belongs to us. Now, this is so against what we would think. The, you know, the, the phrase that the, um, you know, the race belongs to the swift uh, or, you know, the, the prize belongs to the strong. Uh, our whole way, our whole culture's way, uh, our whole Western civilization's way of, uh, and, and, and many other civilizations, their whole belief is that the stronger you are, the better you are, the more capable you are. Uh, that, th it's to those people that life belongs. And, and here Jesus is completely reversing it, saying, no, the kingdom belongs to you, the poor of spirit. That's who the kingdom belongs belongs to. And the more you embrace the poverty of the Spirit, the more, it's like the more the Holy Spirit works in you this certainty uh, that you don't have it in yourself, so it's got to come from Him. That you don't have it in you, so it's got to come from Him. And you find out how, how eager He is to give it. You find out how excited and happy He is to give it to you. Um, uh, Jesus had this phrase, why do you worry? Uh, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The more you embrace the poverty of your own spirit, the more 
you're going to be certain that uh, all these things will be given to you as well. The, the more, the more you, you have this certainty that, yeah, I, I, I didn't have enough money to pay all these bills, but I know God's going to take care of me. Um, yeah, I didn't have um, the, the strength to finish this job, but God's going to take care of me. Um, most importantly, most importantly, it points us to the all-adequacy of God. God has everything you need. God is everything you need. And every time you admit and own and even embrace weaknesses and your shortcomings and your limits, every time you do that, um, it redirects your attention to how God has it all for you. It refocuses you on God. Uh, look at how Paul uh, dealt with this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us. This is why you have treasures of jars of clay. If, you, if you've ever wondered why you are made out of a broken, leaking jar that's not always so pretty, no matter how much you try to polish it up on the inside, if you've ever wondered, it's because, Paul says it right here, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, God gave them all kinds of warnings. And one of the warnings he said is that, you know, you're going to be tempted to think you built your own houses and you, uh, you uh, created your own gardens and your own farms and you did it all yourself. But I'm, I'm, God said, I'm just handing it to you so that you will know it will be permanently emblazoned in your brain that it's all from God and, and not from you. Well, within a generation, the Israelites, of course, completely forgot that. But, uh, but, but that's why God set it up that way. And that's why he keeps setting, up, setting it up for our lives. Um, Paul says later in the same passage, my power is made perfect in weakness. It's God saying my power, not Paul's power. Paul saying my, or God saying my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, and, and I know about you, but I'm, I'm constantly resisting my own weakness. I'm constantly, uh, whether I'm ashamed of it or I'm embarrassed by it or I'm afraid of being caught by, by red-handed being weak and being limited and uh, being a failure. Uh, and so I'm, so often I'm, I'm trying to manage my life so that it appears that I'm not as weak as I am. I'm, it appears as though I'm not as uh, much of a failure <clears throat> as I am. And uh, so that it looks good, like the Pharisees wanted it to look good. And, and yet, you know, and then I'm, then I'm praying, okay, say, God, give me your power. And so often, I'm, what I'm secretly doing is I'm praying, God, me your, give me your power so that I look more powerful. Uh, <clears throat> and, and that's exactly the opposite of how God wants it to be. He, he wants our, us to embrace our weaknesses, and in doing so, that's when his power gets to shine. He, he wants people to walk away from your life and say, like, and, and say, I, I don't know how that guy got through, but God is so amazing. Look what God did in that person's life. That, that, that's how God has set things up for us. Um, that people wonder about you and me. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know how they're doing it, but, but boy, God, wow, that's amazing. Um, 
So third question I want to ask is how do I cultivate this poverty of spirit? How do I do that? If, if it's so important to God, if Jesus said it as the very the first line in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, how do I do it? How do I cultivate it? Uh, there's two strategies. Um, strategy one is just what I've been talking about. Admit and embrace my inadequacies, my weaknesses, my shortcomings, failures, and limits. As they come up, don't try to just manage their appearance so that they don't, uh, uh, so you minimize them. Don't just try to do that, but actually admit it and even embrace it. All right? Again, these aren't excuses for you. These aren't, uh, your weaknesses are not excuses like, well, I don't have to participate in that, or I don't have to do that, or, uh, you know, but, but admit them and embrace that they're there and, and deal with them. Um, but, th so this is an important strategy. As they, as they come up, and you can just even have a, like, for me now with God, it's like this little joke between us. Um, I'm, I'm the, oh, I can't believe I keep bringing this up. I, I am, I, at the gym I go to, I am the weakest, um, uh, the weakest, slowest person there. Um, I, I get beat every single time. There, we do these little, uh, like, competition things. I get beat every single time by these two pregnant women. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I, I can't believe I told you that. <clears throat> but um, I wasn't planning on sharing that. That was, I feel like I'm supposed to. So anyway, I get beat by these two pregnant women every single time. There, there, there was one, one, of the, one of the pregnant women I, I, I was sort of neck and neck with for a while. And then, like last week, I was, yeah, she beat me. So <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> all that to say, um, now it's like this little joke between God and I. So instead of sort of like, puffing myself up and making excuses like, well, you know, I was, I was just taking it slow so I didn't embarrass the ladies, you know. Um, uh, the, instead of puffing myself up like that and defending myself, excusing myself, justifying myself, um, it's this little joke between God and I, you know. There's another one, God, where my weaknesses are on display for everyone to see. <clears throat> um, uh, I can't believe I did that. Um, but the most important strategy, so anyway, this is, this is one strategy. It's important. We've got to do it. We've got to do it daily. We've got to do it multiple times a day, uh, multiple times an hour if you're like me. But the more important strategy, strategy number two, is focus on Jesus Christ, our heavenly treasure. Focus on Jesus Christ, our heavenly treasure. When, when, you, when you look at how Jesus laid out the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus tells them, store up for yourselves heavenly, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He was really talking about himself. He is the treasure in heaven. Paul, Paul puts it this way, uh, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, in in the, his letter to the Colossians. Uh, the author of Hebrews puts it this way, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Fix your eyes on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Uh, it would be intolerable uh, if we only embraced our weaknesses. We, we would, something in us would just snap and we'd be like, I, 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 especially when we're really honest with ourselves and we, we see our weaknesses and our limits and our shortcomings, and you're like, I, I can't handle it, and we would just shut down, and it, it would be awful. 
But if we turn our gaze on Jesus and we look to him and we look to his beauty and we look to his power, and guys, this is an endless treasure trove of, uh, of, of all the things you need. Jesus not only provides for you, um, James was saying, you know, our hearts are, those of us are sitting in this room, our hearts are beating, our lungs are, are working, uh, pulling in air and bringing it out. Uh, that wasn't, that's not an accident. God is this very second sustaining your body to make it work. And some of you were saying, well, my body's not working very well today. Or you're like, after what Andrew shared, his body's not working very well. Um, uh, you know what? It, God didn't make me the strongest person, and that's okay. He is still sustaining and I, my body, and he was the one who provided these clothes. You didn't provide it, even if it came out of your checkbook. Um, God gave you the grace and the strength to go to work, uh, or someone else in your family to go to work, or uh, some of us, uh, you know, receive help from, you know, different assistant sources of assistance. That, that wasn't just, you know, created by us. God set all that up to provide and care for us. But he's not just providing for your physical needs. Uh, he is providing for everything within you. He, he is, he's got every single thing you need for mental and emotional stability and health and growth. He's got everything your spirit needs to grow in him. Uh, Jesus is everything to us. And when we turn and we gaze at him and we look at him uh, and, you know, and, 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 and everything is fair game. When we look at the, the, the psalms that exalt God above all the heavens and we're just so swept away with awe and fear and trembling, that is sustaining our soul. The other times when we, we look at how Jesus you know, tenderly took little children and, and, and held them and blessed them, that is sustaining to our soul. Uh, everything that Scripture says about God and specifically about God the Son, Jesus, all of it sustains our souls and strengthens us. And, and that's where our adequacy is. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, in whom are hidden the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, concluding exhortation, I'd like the worship team to, to come on up. And, and I'm, we're actually going to um, have a little extended... Uh, I'm, Believe it or not, I'm, I'm wrapping this up earlier than the usual sermon because uh, we're actually going to have a little bit of extended time um, before I give a benediction, an extended time to, to if, if you need to physically come up uh, here and kneel at the altar or even have somebody pray for you, um, some of the um, elders, prayer ministers, um, uh, deacons, others among us will come and, and pray for you if you if you're kind of standing right up here. Um, uh, and <clears throat> I just want to encourage you, if, if, if you need that little time, you know, just you and God, where you're just focusing on God, Lent is that time where Jesus is searching our hearts. He's, he's searching our hearts, um, and, and he uses the Beatitudes to, uh, to, to really penetrate us and, and probe the very depth of our, our being uh, are we going to embrace our poverty of spirit? Um, it's, it's the first step towards this upside-down spirituality Jesus is calling us to. Uh, and are, are you going to embrace your poverty of spirit, or are you going to puff yourself up and defend yourself and justify yourself and, and uh, overcompensate and, 
do all that other stuff, or are you going to embrace your poverty of spirit? He, he's, he's asking you, he's probing your heart right now, will you follow me? Will you come after me? Or are you going to opt for the false religion of the Pharisees that's all about a big show? Or are you going to opt for the false religion of the pagans uh, that's all about chasing after, fearfully chasing after what you don't have? Or, or are you going to follow me? Will, who will you follow? So this first song, we're going to ask Jesus to open the eyes of our hearts to see his beauty. And then we're actually going to spend some time meditating on his beauty through the next song. So I just want to encourage, if the altar is open... Love of God the Father. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and may the power of the Holy Spirit go with you today. As you enter this journey, this adventure of Lent, let him probe your heart so that you might walk in the fullness of God's favor.